Hey everybody, Pierre Quinn here. You're listening to episode 143 of the Leading Wild Green podcast, where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. Joining me as a guest on this episode is Sam Cannonier, founder of Millionaire Intentions and author of the new book by the same name, Millionaire Intentions. Now, before we jump into that conversation with Sam, I want to thank you so much for going on your own leadership development journey and using the insights and references and experts that you find on the Leading Wild Green podcast to help you in this journey. You've been reviewing the podcast, you've been rating it, you've been sharing it on social media, and I want to thank you so much for your support and for sharing your experiences. Now, this conversation is going to be a good one, and you're going to want to take notes. So my guest today is Sam Cannonier, and as the founder of Millionaire Intentions, Sam has dedicated his life's work to helping everyday people reach major financial goals through financial awareness, financial literacy, and growth. His mission is to see every person achieve a level of financial freedom in life and finances that they never thought was possible. Now, his strong financial background has helped him build a reputation for consistently exceeding high-reaching performance expectations. In fact, Sam has had the privilege of working in the banking industry for over 15 years. And as a former vice president in the banking industry, he has successfully managed over 80 million in deposits, three branch locations, and 40 employees. Now, Sam has a BA in marketing and a graduate degree in finance from Eastern Michigan University. And even greater than that is Sam's passion about making financial literacy and growth practical. And you'll see that come through in the conversation that we have. You'll see it come through as he shares his personal story, uh, his challenges and the amazing opportunities that he's embraced and how he is impacting all generations with his mission to help you achieve financial freedom. So here's my conversation with Sam Cannonier. I'm excited to be joined on this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast by Sam Cannonier. Sam, thanks for being my guest today. Man, it's a pleasure to be on this podcast, man. Honest to you and all the great works that you do for your emerging leaders. Man, it's it's crazy. Um, you know, I was I was born and raised in Pontiac. Uh, then, you know, went, went to school in Michigan for, for undergrad and grad and, you know, eventually moved, moved away, you know, live now in Maryland, but it's, I think this is the first time that we've had a conversation, even right. though like we grew up so close to each other. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. We were around the same age. Uh, we had the same circle of friends, but we didn't really know each other, but yeah. it, it's just, it's just full circle how these things work out. Man, I, I, I initially had you on my list to reach out to because you came out with a book and I was so excited to see the book and see the book title and give us a little, a snapshot of, of why you decided to write the book, the title of the book and why you decided to write it. Oh, so thanks. Well, first and foremost, I wrote a book called Millionaire Intentions because you work too hard to be broke. And I, I and that's literally my background. Um, I was a financial consultant and I moved into uh, being a, I was a, a branch manager for uh, top 10 banks in America, PNC Bank. And um, I just thought that people, uh, I had a misconception. I, let me go back just a little bit. Yeah. Um, born and raised in a you know, poor community, Detroit. 
And I just had a perception that once you start making money, then things just things just change. Economically, you're able to do great. You're able to do more things, and you may have a more healthier lifestyle. And um, my first job out of college, I just wanted a job, so I got hired in at an investment firm, got licensed to do investments, and I sat down with the owner, and he was making well over three hundred thousand dollars a year. And he pulled me over to the side. And I mind you, like I'm from the poor areas of Detroit. And I mean, my family, you know, bootstrapped. And just to get to like levels of me, you know, living the middle middle class lifestyle. Yeah. He pulled me over and said, Sam, even though I make so much money, I still feel broke. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That is mm. so crazy. And he was like, look, I have a bigger life. I mean, I have a bigger house, I have multiple cars, I have a life with expensive habits. Uh, our lifestyles just change as I uh, make continued progress. And I just thought, no, maybe his lifestyle was just him. Maybe he was just reckless with his money. Mm-hmm. But then when I became, you know, I started meeting clients personally, then I shifted to becoming a branch manager and I'm dealing with attorneys and dealing with lawyers and I'm dealing with people that's making half a million dollars a year and they still have same financial troubles as someone that's living check to check, making minimum wage. And, I, and, and, and it was like, man, it's a system that that it's a miscommunication that we are not having. The average individual does not have the proper system that that in place to put themselves in a position of wealth. So I made a book called Millionaire Intentions because I truly believe that everybody has the ability to become wealthy. And um, and and, and that the, my my biggest thing that just kind of heartbreaking to me, Pierre, yeah. is that so many people don't even believe it's possible. It's just like, oh, that's. That's a fairy tale. That's just not going to happen. So I just was on a quest. And then I started, you know, talking to as many people as possible. And I had no intention to write a book. I am the least person that should write a book, honestly. Well, my wife was just looking at like the, the rough draft. She's like, stop it. So you just got to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not, you know, this is not your lane. But it was, it was so important to me because I, and I just wanted something that got to this. Something happens to me. Mm-hmm. My my people that I was connected to could pick pick this up and just get the template. Like yeah. things necessary for you to be successful. So half the book is focused on defensive strategies, um, the reasons why um, that foster us not to become successful as we can financially from a financial literacy standpoint. Some of this is conditioning, mm-hmm. and now if I you know thinking about it after I wrote the book, I, like I, I truly believe that. I mean, I can give you. I can, my book is very practical, very layman. You like you could very you could understand it, and most people I think will read it will say that makes a lot of sense. The hard part is actually executing. The hard part is actually following through, and it's not just. I mean, everybody wants to do well, but one thing that we don't realize is how we're conditioned. We're deeply rooted to believe that it's not possible. So first half is on defensive strategies. What, you know, what can you do you know, practical ways that you can save money, um, build your you know, solid foundation. And the other half of the book kind of focused on, okay, you got your, you got your system in place. You're in good, you're in a good place. Now let me, let me teach you how to invest. Let me teach you how to um, think about building your own business. Um, all those different things. But uh, I put, put all my 15 plus years of experience working in the financial industry together and put it in a book that, um, that I believe could really make a difference in our community. So Sam, let's go back a little bit. How different were the principles that you, you know, were teaching, were sharing that you poured into this book? Mm -hmm. 
how different were those principles from sort of the methodology and framework your family lived by growing up? Man, how did you wrestle with that? Man, that's an awesome question. And that's a great question. So, man, my career, my family's Caribbean uh, roots. So we're not afraid to do hard work. I mean, yeah. um, just a quick, um, just mindset is just like my parents, my mom was a principal in a school equivalent to having her master's moving back here in America in her 30s, having me having to start back from square one to get her undergrad, then go have to go back to get her master's and then have to, you know, so uh, I look at struggle differently uh, from that standpoint. Like I have no excuse. That's how I look at it. No matter how, you know, no matter how much I fall or fail, it's just inevitable that I'm not going to be successful in everything I do. But at the same standpoint, it's not really a failure unless I give up. So I started out in the book. I mean, I kind of just talked about, man, I got into real estate and I, I didn't do everything right. And I failed at it. I mean, for but I, I'm not a failure. So I just had to realize the mechanics of what I wasn't doing right. Even finance, you know, my finances. It's not like I grew up being this financial guru. It's not, I didn't have parents who, who gave me, you know, like all these tools and resources. It was just strictly off trial and error. In, in years of working in the financial industry. Um, but I guess deeply rooted to my parents, uh, hard work and a level of like, I am not going to fail no matter what. And based on what I seen real struggle look like for my parents, I, 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 I like to believe I'm long suffering. I like the pain. I, I like the, I like the aspects of pain because pain lets you know that it hurts. And it's truly when you're not comfortable that real growth happens. So I, um, that's why I'm willing to write a book, even though um, I might not have the most. Um, I, I didn't go to school. I didn't have. I wasn't an English major. Like I just believe, if I truly put my mind to doing something, it's going to get done. It's just a matter of how long it's going to take. And the beauty of editors, copy editors, <laughs> <laughs> to help you with the work, right? Oh, for sure, absolutely. So there's this there's this kind of traditional viewpoint, and what you're sharing flies in the face of that in a major way. The traditional viewpoint is like, listen, especially, you know, the communities that we grew up in, right. go to school, get a good job, correct. You know, get your house and it will all work out. But you're, you're finding in different circles, people are saying mm, that might, that path might not put you on a, on, on the direction of, of financial stability and financial health. And I'm not knocking anyone who has gone to school and got a good job and loves their field. But you're introducing some additional lanes, some additional yeah. sources of income. Yeah, I mean, on two levels. One, I believe, like, like I have two young daughters, and I, I, college is not for everyone, or higher education is not for everyone. But we all should be prescribing to learn. Yeah. But I want to put my kids in a predicament that no matter what they do, they will have the systems in place to build wealth. As you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to become wealthy. Mm -hmm. uh, but to your point. I mean, we are conditioned to follow a, a, a method, and, and that's that's the only method we know to be successful. I mean, I, I remember, especially when I was doing the real estate thing heavy, and I was struggling a lot. I, my uncle came to me; he was just really, he really deeply cared for me, and he pulled me over, and said, "Sam, you know, you're a successful banker. Why are you trying to do all these other businesses? Like, if you just stick to banking, you'll be in a much better situation." And that came; that was his truth. Yeah. But I had to reject that because I you know, like I put too much into this. Like I, 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 I knew what I was doing was not maybe on par where I need to be. But because I didn't give up or quit, I wouldn't be in a position where I'm at right now.
now. So it's just like you, you have to understand your family, your support. They could be your biggest advocates, but they could be your biggest deteriorators from really reaching your goals. And um, just my suggestion is like, don't don't get upset with them because they're really doing it out of love. God rest my soul. My, my uncle really deeply cared for me. But yeah. all he knew was getting in one job, working 40, 40 years at this job and retiring. But that wasn't my lane, you know, and um, you have to really understand what what wisdom that they're trying to the wisdom that he was trying to relay to me was, you know, stabilizing your family. It's just my job is to decode that message and figure out what's best for me, if that makes sense. I uh, was interviewing someone, on Leah Dean, on my LinkedIn live show. She wrote a book called Activate, Activate Your Tribe. Mm. And she was talk, talking about in her journey, one of the things that was a challenge for her is the expectation that she put on her pretty much nuclear tribe of friends to be everything for her. Wow. Wow. And she found this gap when she moved up in her career and changed and did some other things that the people in her tribe could not speak to. Wow. And he had to start making friends with people who were outside of her core tribe. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's that I have a segment of people and I understand that. Like I have maybe from a faith perspective, my same mentor who was my business mentor may not be my mentor for faith or my um, my financial mentor is not my same mentor that I'm, I'm connecting with on the business side. So um, my tribe do not commingle all the time and you have to realize that if you have your your best friend who you grew up with now if i was at my worst stands and if i'm in the alley i want that person as my friend who's going to have my back right that's not the same friend that i may connect with when i'm trying to grow my business and and it's not fair for us to try to push our friends who are not in that lane or who don't want to be in that. And it's one thing if you're not with me. It's another thing if you don't have any ambitions to get to where I'm at. You know, I have I mean, I have tons of friends who are like, if I'm down to my last dime or if I need I need something, they have my back. But those are not the same friends I connect with when I'm trying to think about how to scale my business. So we have to figure out as leaders, we have to figure out what you're trying to achieve and who do you need to connect with to help help you achieve those goals. And now everybody or your core circle of friends, that one individual can't hit every four lines. It's not possible. Yeah. Now, there's, there's some of us that struggle because when we look at organizational loyalty, we find ourselves in places where our organization maybe gives us a chance to do, to maybe stretch ourselves or work in a, a, a area of greater capacity that we're more aligned with. And it's an excellent opportunity But then we kind of hit a tension point because the organization says, "Okay, wait a minute, this thing that you're doing, we can't put a cap on it or control it the way that we really want to. And it puts people in a place where they have to make a decision. Do I rock out with the organization or do I make a a, make a pivot? What was the experience like for you? You're doing financial training, you know, curriculum, you're teaching people. It's fitting with the mission of the bank. What, what was that experience like Man, to begin to grow what you were doing? It was tough. It was a double-edged sword because I was um, the bank's main resource for financial literacy. I mean, they put me on a platform because how engaged I was and how deeply I cared for my community or people that wanted help. Because it was just like a, it's a basic level of um, I truly feel that regardless if you build wealth or not, that we all should have uh, some level of stability. 
And I'm very passionate about that. Uh, and uh, they, they use me as a resource all the time. And, but uh, as I was teaching uh, the, these classes that, that the bank gave me the, the curriculum that they had, and I talked to my community development um, leader, like the biggest person in Michigan, I said, man, I love, your, I love what we're doing here. Um, it, your, the, what we, the content that we have is great uh, or good. I, wish, I should say good. But it's it's a little plain. It's not really it's not it's not as relatable as it could be, especially when we're talking about the framework of the people that we're talking to. And he says, "Why don't you do something?" And that's how my curriculum. That's how I built my curriculum. My the the company that told me to build your own curriculums, and I did that. And because I was doing so much work, people were asking me to speak, and I was getting involved within the lines of corporate, but then without the lines of corporate. And I was doing things on the weekend. It didn't matter to me yeah. um, on, on their dime or on mine because there was just so much involved. And as I was make, making progressions on that, uh, 15 years that I that I worked for, for the company, I get pulled over uh, um, in a meeting. I, I wasn't expecting. Now, this is how dope this was because typically my meetings I was having for like 30, 45 minutes. This meeting was like an hour and a half scheduled, but I'm like, okay, maybe it's this evaluation. I mean, I'm, I'm tripping. And then it was like um, the, the director of um, HR. I'm like, whoa, this is deep. And they said, Sam, <laughs> we did a extensive research on your, you know, all the things that you're doing. And uh, you were doing what I call money Mondays. Every Monday I was giving out a, a post that I was just trying to help people just, uh, you know, just feeding them. And they pulled me over. It was like, we don't, and they said this, this was, this was, this was really was so deep about it. As I said, we read everything that you wrote in the last year and we don't disagree with anything that you said. However, it didn't come from us. You, you're branding yourself outside of the company. So we're giving you options. You know, you could, and this is by the time, this is for my wife is pregnant, working on her, we had our second baby girl. And uh, they pulled me over to the office and said, you either quit today or shut everything down. And I wasn't doing this stuff for money. It's not like I'm making tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And I, this was like, this was out of like, I just want to make an impact. I wasn't even thinking about money. And um, they pulled, and I was so, you know, I'm in the office and I'm so like, man, I was heartbroken because my my passion was not was not even looking at for my own well-being. It was just what I was doing and I was making a, a inroad. And I wasn't even done with the book at this time. They said, by the way, and I wasn't even posting about my book, but I did I was telling people that are working on it. It's like we read that somewhere you hear someone someone um, comment on your post and said they can't wait to read your book. So do you have a book? Are you writing a book? I'm saying matter of fact, I am. And the thing is I I was up front and told them I have a business and got through clearance and everything. Yeah. But it just came down to it where um, you, you, I, 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 I was given that ultimatum. So at that time, that wasn't my last day or anything like that. But at that point, I had to figure out because I never want to be put in that predicament where um, where you're doing something that's beneficial for everyone else. And, and that's the problem to your point with large entities is because they're so big. It's hard to make it. Um, it's hard for them to individualize my skill set and talent, mm-hmm. and, and to commercialize that without me making a brand for myself. If that's the case, I don't even call it a brand. I was just doing work. Yeah. And, um, but that was a major issue because I wasn't representing them. 
even even when I was off the clock. And I think that's one of the big issues. Because I think about it now being a business owner, I want my I want my team members to um, be able to brand themselves as individuals because regardless of the product or services I'm selling, people are not buying my my business, my sale, my, my products. They're buying that individual. So it, it's all about who they who, who they are and who are in their network. So I want them to be individuals. You know, obviously you have to have a framework where they're not saying anything that's you know reckless or but I wouldn't want to hire anybody that will, will not represent me. And that was the same thing for with the company. The things I was saying was not saying anything that was, you know, reckless or outside of the, the scope of what I was trying to achieve. So, so what do wifey say? <laughs> no. So, so that's the thing, man. I love about my wife. I mean, she, she was ready to go that day. Um, she was ready to go. I mean, one of the things is that, um, I wrote was right in my book. I said pink slip back because um, I worked with the company 15 years ago, but maybe year four, year five, a bank bought another bank out and I had to take a $10,000 pay cut. Um, that was, was the demise of all uh, sort of my financial burdens. 08, 09 happened. I took a $10,000 pay cut and um, I had four multiple properties, I had four or five properties and um my tenants couldn't pay anything, so I was robbing Peter to pay Paul. And that, so from there, that's what the, the, how I you know, build myself up. So even at that point, I had things in order, had money in reserve. But I just I, I don't like to go out on those terms. I, I want to go out on my terms. So, but my wife was ready to go. She was ready to go. Uh, she was like, I mean, she knew how hard I was working, what I was doing. And, um, you know, we, we are, we're people of faith. Like she knew out the gate. She had more. The thing that's crazy, she had more faith in me than I had in myself. Just to be honest. With you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I could really resonate with that, with that part of the story. Uh, you, you look at your, your wife and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we good. And you're I'm like, like <laughs> exactly. I'm like, we got a kid on the way, you know, and um, this is the time where you need to be the most stable. So it, yeah. it was it was it was a tough Six months to a year, but I thank God for that because man, I refined my, my skill set. Yeah. Um, I left the, I left the company in relatively good terms. I knew that it, I had to have an exit strategy because um, the thing is, like every company has their bylaws and things they want to get accomplished. Mm-hmm. If I just don't agree with that, then I have to figure out alternative um, um, direction for myself. So uh, I didn't agree with their bylaws and the things that they want to get accomplished. So, but until then, I, I had to make the best of the situation, be a, a trooper. Until I put myself in a predicament where I'm at now, you know, uh, and and that was the main thing. Even in the book, I, you know, it was kind of self fulfilling prophecy because I said you're a pink slip away, and that that almost happened to me. But then ultimately, the, the mindset of myself was building a business because most of my career I was helping business owners, so half my career was strictly on the individual aspects of helping people build wealth from an individual standpoint. But the other half is connected with business owners. And I just love that aspect of really seeing their systems, seeing how they like their visions. They may start off with a business plan, but I didn't really care about the business plan. I wanted to see what they, how they execute on their business plan. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving them strategies and leader means stuff that, that you do on a day-to-day basis. But I mean, but I was coming home feeling like a hypocrite because mm-hmm. I could, I could talk to talk, but it's like, what I'm, how many employees am I, how many employees I have or, um, how often I'm doing payroll for other people or like, um, like 
it's different between a W two mindset and to owning a business, you know. So I, I felt very hypocritical because I'm giving them from a W two st- standpoint these great ideas how to scale their business, but I'm sitting back in my office, right? So I had to practice what I preach, and, that, and that's what put me in this predicament. Where I mean, put me in this place where I'm at today. There, there are a lot of people who who resonate with the idea of not being satisfied with the context of where in which they are employed, uh, and they're you know they hastily want to make a quick decision, or they're even strategizing. But what I like about what you are able to leverage, Sam, is that you have your 15 year track record. I mean, award winning employee for the company doing such great work, helping the, the company think differently even about their offerings. So you, ha- you have all of these things that you've done and even, even the company says, we've read everything that you've written. We don't have any, I- any issue with the information that is provided. Our issue is just, it's not under our name. Right. What's the, what, what's, what advice would you give to people who, who are hesitant? They're in that mm-hmm. space where, okay, I'm, I want to make a move. Uh, does that mean I just stop doing great work for the company because I want to make this move? How do or how do I even leverage the good work that I've already done in my transition? Man, that's, man, great question. So, first thing I would say is reverse engineer the process uh, from a financial aspect of things. Uh, most businesses fail because of lack of capital. Mm-hmm. So you might you might have the best cupcake recipe in the world, but if you don't have your business intact you have a high probability of failing. I was just reading on some research. Uh, this is by the SBA. They were saying, uh, I think I wrote it down, 20% of business fail within the first year. And within five years, 50% of businesses fail. And then within 10 years, only 33% of the businesses that actually open this doors um, last 10 years. And I think the, one of the main reason is because it's a lack of capital. So when people ask me, um, when should I leave or, um, my first thing is, um, from a financial standpoint, I wrote a book about this, but I, my, my, my main goal is, like, do you even know what your monthly expenses are? Do you have a budget? Because if you can't survive, the, the issue with people is not that they don't have great ideas, is that not that they have, you have every, most business people, most entrepreneurs or um, emerging entrepreneurs I know, they have everything necessary for them to be successful. But they can't withstand. They can't. They can't. They as I call it, like they can't drown for six months or a year without worrying about receiving a check. Mm. Like you can't. You can't market. You're not able to budget. You're not hiring the amount of people necessary for you to be successful. So you're a solo entrepreneur doing ten different areas. You may be. You may be number one in one aspects of your job, but are you number one in accounting? Are you number one in marketing? Are you number one in bookkeeping? So you don't, you, you, you know, you're basic at best, but the reason why you wanted to be an entrepreneur because you are num- you're a, you're an ace in this area that you're not spending much of your attention on because you've got to c- take care of the other nine, 10 segments of this business. So, so they don't have enough money and reserves to, to, to make that jump. So, I, I tell business, I mean, future emerging leaders need to, you know, at least at the bare minimum, have three to six months worth of money set aside so you have the capital necessary to not worry about receiving a check and still be able to function. 
Because what happens, I mean, people have the perception that once you get going, you just open your doors, you do something on social media, and then tomorrow all the floodgates running in. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I started my agency and I mean, I, and I made the world know about it. And tons of people, you know, you know, supporting him from a you know verbally announcement on social media, but I got maybe one opportunity, not even, you know what I'm saying? I made less than a half a percent of the people that love my stuff where it were jumping up to come support me today. So it just, I mean, and I'm not, that was not a, that was not like a bad or, you know, or a negative comment towards your support. It's just, I just want, I say that to, for your emerging leaders to put that in perspective that your people that you believe are just going to support your pr- process as an entrepreneur, I would say I wouldn't, I would only recommend no more than 20% of the people that you believe that, that will have your back will actually do business with you. So it's just like having enough money in reserves to withstand without, you know, putting yourself in the financial um, predicaments of, um, of failure. So I think that that's the biggest thing that I, I will talk. I will talk to emerging. So you reverse engineer it. How much money do I need to make per month to make to maintain my lifestyle? So if it's two or three things, I mean, I'm just throwing numbers out, whatever it is. You need to have three to six months worth in your in, in that stocked away or at least have someone that will support you in this time period. So I, I talked to my wife and, you know, she, she encouraged me to jump beforehand, but um, she understands the process. So I, I may, I may take a significant pay cut the first year from what I was used to making and everything like that. But I'm putting my family in a predicament where in two to three years, they could, I could make three times what I'm making previously. I heard you share this idea with with some high school students, and I was really intrigued. It it caught me. I said, "Man, we're gonna have to talk about this on the yes. podcast." You have this 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 framework that you said. All it takes is seven dollars a day. Yeah, seven dollars a day. Okay, Sam, seven dollars a day. You gonna have to break that thing down to us. Help us see where you're going with that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll make sure I send you some notes so you can have it to you know anybody that want to you know regardless if you want to buy the book or not. You know, you can just get if you get that one page and, and that's the thing with books or podcasts, you get that one thing out of it yep. that could really change your life. So I want to make sure I, I get that to you. OK, but I, I tell people you could build wealth by saving seven dollars a day for people. And, and that's how practical I, I want to make it for everyone. And I, I start off with this. I, uh, if I'm in a big group, I ask, uh, you know, the average person spends about ten dollars a day on lunch alone. And the average person spends about two hundred dollars on um, not just grocery. Well, pre-pandemic, going out to whether it's the Starbucks, the the you know the coffee places, to um, going out happy hours, to going out to restaurants afterwards. And I run across people. I'm, I'm dealing with people who say they don't have they don't have any money. I'm living check to check. I don't have I don't have any money. I can't invest. I can't save. And I, I I'll pull out. All right, all right okay. I really have the time. I'm like, okay, let me look at your bank statements. Your action speaks louder than any words that we're talking right now. Let's look at your bank statements. Let's look at how much money you're spending. And we and I could pull out guarantee if I sit down with any individual, I could I could find fifty to hundred bucks that they're just spending. And most people, budgeters or financial coaches, there was you know, it's not so much. I'm trying to take that away from you. I'm not trying to take away your seven dollar coffee or your muffin or your 
or your Kit Kat. I'm not trying to take that away. <laughs> I, I, what I am saying is I am not going to allow those things to supersede me building wealth. Mm. If that makes sense. That's good. If you're doing everything you're supposed to do, then I don't care if you buy like, I, I, I mean, I buy, I mean, I have too many Amazon boxes, too many, you know, like I buy too much clothes as we speak. It, it, no one's perfect. However, my priorities are in place. So going back to the point, $7 a day for 40 years is a very long time, but especially for kids, or I mean, even our age, your mid thirties to your late forties, or even your fifties, the average person is living to almost 90 years old now. So mm-hmm. I don't care how, what age you are. I mean, cause I, I, I do this presentation and older people say, well, I'm too old. Well, no, that's not the case. I mean, even if you're 50 and you die at 75, I mean, that's, that's money that you're leaving to your, to your family. That's what legacy is all about. So $7 a day, that's roughly $2,500 a year, gaining 12% rate of return, which is around the average of the S&P 500. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll send some links on that as well. If you're in $7 a day, $2,500, and within, after 40 years of investing, you will have $2.1 million. Wow. So my point is, even someone that's potentially minimum wage, just getting started, making $12 an hour, you could afford to, you work too hard. Going back to my point, if you work eight hours, can you give one hour to yourself? You are your biggest investment. So why not protect yourself and your future? <laughs> and when you explain it like that, you know, it makes it so, so doable and so practical. And I know a lot of us are thinking, uh, go, going through, you know, the last maybe 10, 20 transactions that we had. Man, I bought something on Amazon that I really, I really didn't, I don't even use it anymore. Exactly. You know, I buy, you know, snacks or, you know, whatever from, from the gas station, that's about $10, like at least once a week. So we're thinking, man, I do, I do have, I do have a way of making it happen. Absolutely. I mean, everybody can make this happen. Like I, I you know, locally, I was part of Michigan works and we're dealing with people that are like just getting back into the job employment and they have, you know, very tough situation. And if I, I mean, I did that for several years and I'm able to carve out that type of money for someone on that level. Mm-hmm. And I could definitely do it with like emerging leaders who are struggling. No, don't get me, don't get it twisted. Yeah. I'm not saying it's it's not it's easy. If it was easy, everybody'd be millionaires, but it's definitely doable. And the thing is what I, I get what I want to get uh, what I the one key point that I want you you your listeners to really get, especially I mean this is a new year, is that I am not looking for intensity. I'm not that's why I only made it seven dollars a day. I didn't say you save $200, $300 a month, $600 a month, and we just going to grow. No, I want consistency over intensity. Yeah, I, I want you to be consistent about this. When I talk to people and they're like, oh, yes, I haven't saved. I never saved any money. I'm going to save $500 a month. I'm like, no, I don't even want you to do that. I just want you to, can you, be, can you consistently save $50? Because my goal, if you could save $50, or if you can, I, I really go with percentages, if you could save 10% when you make $50,000, then you could save 10% when you make $100,000. If you have a problem saving 10% when you're making $10 a month, I mean $10 an hour, then you're going to have a hard time saving 10% when you're making $100 an hour. So it's building the system, building the discipline. And once you get to a certain level, I mean, once you build it, it doesn't matter 
when you make it 50,000 to 150,000, you already have the principal in place to say 10%. Wealthy people say 20 to 40% of every dime they make. And that should be the ultimate long-term goal. But start with 10%. Yeah. Talk a little bit, Sam, about the pivot that you made, you know, kind of that ultimatum was given. Yeah. You frame thing out frame things out to be on your own terms. Right. Ultimately made a transition, started a, a, a new venture, got your hands in, in another another sector of life. Talk to us a little bit about that transition and why you made the decision to go in that direction. Man, uh, I, I would start off, um, yeah, I got recruited. Um, um, people knew my works. And it wasn't, you know, I, I mean, I'm telling you the inside scoop of all the mechanics of the stuff I was going through, but everybody didn't know that. And um, I mean, God is good and, and it kind of worked out. But um, one of the things I was talking about in the interim, I was telling, I was talking to my mom and I was like, I, I'm not doing this just to break even. Like the biggest thing, like, my, I mean, I was a VP, I was a VP for a Fortune 500 company, and but it took years to get to that certain level. My daughter, both my daughters, no matter how smart they are, they can't walk into my old office and um, just set up shop. It's just not going to happen. Right. I don't care how well, you know, educated they are. I don't care what the, you know, who, you know, they're, who they're connected with. They can't walk into a a fortune 500 company and do that. So that's why I'm an advocate for everyone. Even if it's your, even if it's, even if you keep your nine to five, which is perfectly fine, Mm -hmm. but to establish, create something that you can give to someone else that you can give to your offspring, to your family members. And I, that's why even when I was with the company, I was still creating the book, the curriculum. I was still doing real estate because I can't give them my office, right? Yeah. I can't, it's no matter what I, I can't get that. So I always was on the mindset of being a creator. Now, the second part of it was I didn't do this to break even. Most wealth, most wealthy people, I mean, most millionaires are business owners. Matter of fact, Majority of millionaires are business owners. So it's not, I'm not an entertainer. I'm not, you know, I, 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 I'm not picking up a basketball. I'm not, uh, I'm not talented to sing. So I, I don't have those skill sets, but I know, like, I, I know I could build a system and I could put it in place. So I would, I would encourage everyone to use your, use your, your knowledge. I mean, you work for, if, if I could be a VP at a Fortune 500 company, like it, they didn't uh, they didn't just put anybody in that position. I must have been doing something right. Yeah. So I encourage you. I mean, I encourage everybody to go corporate first because learn on their dime. If I make a hundred thousand dollar mistake when I'm with them, it'll be catastrophic. Worst thing I, they would do is let me go. If I do a hundred thousand dollar mistake on my own business, it's a hundred thousand dollars I have to pay out of pocket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so learn on the, learn learn on someone else's dime. I mean, when I first got involved and I went into the bank, a millionaire told me, he said, look at this job as a paid internship. And I did that for 15 years. But um, going back to it, um, I keep saying this. I didn't do this just to break even. And my mom mom heard me say that several times. And she brought me in. I went next time um, I talked to her. She said, Sam, I heard you say that several times. And I said, it's so much bigger than you. You got to look at it outside of what you can make and what you can do for your family. He said, you have four employees. You have four employees that have families. It's your responsibility to sow into them, not only just financially to make sure they're in a good place, but you got to sow into them for that so they could be leaders. 
So it's not not only that you are an emerging leader, now you have disciples to make emerging leaders out of them. And that hit me so hard because so many times leaders only kind of focus on themselves. But my most success occurs when I'm helping other people. So now as a business owner, it's my job to lead, not only lead by example, but lead them to success, whether they're with me or on to the next in their future. Yeah. Sam, you dropped a lot, man. In this episode, you dropped so much. So, so good. I hope everybody was taking notes. If you were not taking notes, I need you to go back and listen to this again. Uh, Sam, this is the part of the podcast that I've called, I call shameless plug time. I okay. Mean, I'm here to talk about you know, your book, how we can get it, how we can work with you, the offerings that you provide, the type of clients you're looking for today. Just social handles. Get, give it all to us, man. Give it yeah, all I got a lot. I got a lot. So oh, cool. If you're local in Michigan, Sam Cannonier, S-A-M-C-A-N-N-O-N-I-E-R, you have the link to it um, for all, all your insurance needs. I mean, I'm very, I'm a big advocate of protecting families. So we offer not just insurance for car and home and auto, and, and we have insurance for pets. But what's more important, the most important thing is protecting you with life insurance, protecting your legacy. Um, I thank God for the um, GoFundMe's of the world, but we want to eliminate those type of resources by having the proper insurance intact. So we'll do a free quote and a free life needs analysis. My team will make sure we'll get your family together. Um, if you want to read more on a financial tip, um, I wrote a book called Millionaire Intentions. You work too hard to be broke. I mean, I was really passionate based off, I mean, the struggle that I saw from a day-to-day perspective, dealing with people from doctors, lawyers, attorneys, to dealing with people that are entry-level jobs. And everybody's goal was to make sure that their family was in good place. So I created a book, 10, 10 points, 10 chapters. It's a very easy read. Look, I, I'm not, I'm not a, um, I'm probably the, the, the least of, of people that should be writing books, but I made it so practical that anybody could pick this up, you know, especially for kids. I mean, I, I wrote it for so one day my kids could read this book and, and make sure they were in a good financial standpoint. So um, going to the last point, um, I have a curriculum called Millionaire. I mean, called, um, yeah, million, Young Millionaire University, because as much as I love dealing with people that are in their professions, I do understand if I want to make an economical difference in the community, you got to start with the kids, because the kids impact not just the future, but they impact the decisions their parents do. So um, if you're an educator, you're a part of the school, I would love to partner up with you and, and show that we can make an impact, because I could, I could provide statistics that shows and kids are uh, financially literate. Uh, if financial um, literacy is in a high place, then they have a higher probability of graduating from, sc- from school. And then even selfishly, um, this knowing my experience, I graduated from college and, you know, with racks of thousands of dollars of debts and um, poor credit score and all this type of things because I just didn't know any better. So I just want to get it from them. I want to get them before they make bad before they create bad habits. So if you're an educator, if you're part of a school district, please connect with me. I'm in a couple of schools and um, I definitely want to grow that aspect of um, what, what I'm doing. I'm very passionate about that aspect as well. So in Millionaire Intentions, you're able to find the book as well as can partner up with me for our Young Millionaire University. If you have any insurance needs, samcannonier.com. And then last but not least, I have a podcast, which Pierre, I'm definitely going to get you on um, uh, this season. Uh, Wealth Exchange, where uh, um, uh, Krishana and myself 
we just talk about different ideas, whether it's from building a business to um, um, last season, we had people that were not just living, not just talking to walk, I mean, talking to talk, but actually in those in those fields that we're learning about. So definitely um, wherever you get your podcast, um, list, wherever you're listening to, def- definitely feel free to jump on and listen to a couple episodes on that as well. I know some of you are maybe a little distracted. It was like, wait, wait, what did he say? I didn't catch that part. Listen, just just go to the show notes. We'll have yes. all the links there for you. You're just one click away. There's absolutely no excuse to follow up with Sam and his work and get his materials and man, connect with him and what he's doing, man. This is, listen, it's 2021. And for a lot of you, You've made so many mistakes, partially because you've been trying to go at it on your own. And that's why we have conversations with people like Sam. So, Sam, thanks so much for being my guest on the podcast and for pouring into us today. No, it's been an honor. Anytime you need me, just let me know. Great conversation with Sam Cannonier about his book, about his life, about his journey, about his passion to help everyday people become financially free. So I want to encourage you to check out the links in the show notes, get your copy of Millionaire Intentions, go to Sam's website, millionaireintentions.com, subscribe to the Wealth Exchange podcast and get more insight from Sam. And for all of your insurance needs, especially if you live in the metropolitan Detroit area, go to samcannoneer.com. So we got all that in the show notes. You're just one click away. Hey, That's all I got for this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast. You know it's my mission to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.